Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 277. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 191, The Many, Many Lives of Frank Chen. Sort of a, how many episodes was it that we had the many lives of Frank Chen? It was a few episodes ago, but it wasn't all that long ago. And yeah. if everyone has forgotten, what happened then was that the secret police decided to try to fulfill the judgment against them for the murder of Frank Chen. And the judgment was to provide the life of Frank Chen exactly as he was. So yeah. they made a bunch of clones, and that didn't work, because none of them were Frank Chen, not the way the family remembered. So the episode today starts with Cecil announcing the big press conference, where the secret police are revealing that they've done it for real this time. They've got Frank Chen, and they wheel out a gurney, and they pull back a tarp, and it's Frank Chen. And he actually yep. remembers his family, and he's a little it's- surprised that everybody's 10 years older now. So... That was weird. It sounded like they actually managed it. Yeah, it turns out they worked together with the Museum of Forbidden Technologies, and they made a time machine, as you do. Yes, just made it. That's the only explanation you're going to get on that. But what was interesting was that as Cecil was talking, he had mentioned this one particular judge at the start of, you know, the whole everything that was going on, where they were revealing the gurney with, you know, Frank Chen on and everything. He had mentioned the judge's name, and then a few minutes later, he mentions the judge, and it's a completely different person. And as that started, little things kept changing. He mentioned that he was looking forward to hanging out with his boyfriend, Carlos, which I didn't get at first. I'm like, oh, no, it's not his boyfriend. Carlos is his husband. And right. there was no mention of their son. So, yeah, things slowly started to change more and more as he was talking. Yeah, and I didn't realize it at first because he mentioned Sheriff Pamela Winchell. And mm-hmm. I'm here, doy, thinking, oh, wait a minute. When did she stop doing whatever she was doing before and become sheriff? Yeah, because time has now changed. Exactly. And so this entire episode, if we were to recap it like point by point, it's definitely a love letter to the longtime listeners of this show because they kept on mentioning various things and they mentioned names that you remember, but they were in completely different context. So you could sit here and be like, oh, that's different. Oh, wow, that's different. Yeah, like the Moonlight All Night Diner has a new owner, Steve Carlsberg, with his mm-hmm. wife, uh, Diane Creighton, and his stepson, mm-hmm. Josh. And the specialty of the Moonlight Diner is now Invisible Pancakes. Mm-hmm. Not Invisible Pie, like it's always been before. We heard from Michelle Nguyen, who is the proprietor at Tower Records, which used to be Dark Owl Records until they sold out to Tower Records, which is something our Michelle Nguyen would never, ever do. Yeah, and Cecil mentions that Michelle is inviting everybody to come to the big engagement announcement with her girlfriend, Sarah Sultan, the fifth size river rock, and Mm -hmm. also that Michelle really loves hearing everybody else's favorite music, which is also something that Michelle would never do. Never ever. So, so yeah, it kind of keeps on going like this for a while up until the judge calls everybody back and says, okay, time has been altered. The scientists have weighed in and said that everything has been messed up. And so what we have to do is we have to put Frank Chen back where you found him. And Frank Chen's like, 
You mean like about to be murdered? And the judge is like, man, what you going to do? You know? So Cecil actually agrees with all of this because apparently the entire time that he's been talking, every fiber of his being has been screaming that this is all wrong. Like the fact that the biggest selling movie of all times was that Cats movie a couple of years ago, which, yeah, that's (laughs) weird. Yeah, no, that was definitely weird and wrong. Very, very wrong. (laughs) So we get a little community calendar in there, which I won't go point by point. I did like that Cecil mentioned that, you know, Louis Blasco was offering guitar lessons at the music store, which never burned down. Huh. I wonder why I said that. That was weird. So Yeah, yeah and Kareem is throwing a party for all the interns uh, throughout the history of the radio station who have all apparently survived. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I completely forgot one big bit that was the biggest indication that this is just wrong, wrong, wrong. And it's none of this other stuff about relationships and whatever. It was the fact that Cecil loves Steve Carlsberg's scones. Oh, yeah. If you want any bigger indication that everything is wrong, wrong, wrong. Cecil does not like Steve's scones, never has, nope. and never will. Nope. So Chen, obviously a little bit... Uh, startled by the fact that he's being sent back to be murdered, jumps in the time machine and disappears. And Sheriff Pamela Winchell throws together another time machine out of the Mm. spare parts for making the first one. God, I wish it was that easy. Although maybe it's a good idea that it isn't. Anyway. uh, Probably. And goes off to chase him. And while they're doing that, we go to the weather. I liked the weather this time. I mean, yeah, so it starts out with percussion and then it immediately goes into like this brass band sound, which is, of course, the band's name is Funk Rust Brass Band and the song was Zoology. And it was just, you're just bopping along to it the whole time. It was. It reminded me, Nathan and I ages ago watched a reunion show of Fleetwood Mac where uh-huh. one of their songs that always has, you know, big trumpets and everything in the background had a marching band come on stage and playing oh, wow. and doing little synchronized bopping back and forth. Pretty amazing. I would suggest looking that up on YouTube, but that was what it was reminding me of. Yeah, and it was like the... At first, I thought it was going to be totally instrumental, but then vocals kicked in, which I wasn't entirely sure I liked up until they got to the chorus, which the chorus line is, let's get back to nature. And every time it came in, I'm like, oh, I like this. This (laughs) So we come back, and the next bit from after the weather all the way to the end is really a list of what Frank Chen did. And I think it's kind of the idea that he was being sent back to be murdered. So he basically lived a whole bunch of lives as he was running through time. Yeah, like 13 years as a blacksmith in ancient Rome and going Mm -hmm. to a thousand years in the future and joining the big space mission, leaving the planet and all sorts of other stuff. Just, I think he went back to Constantinople in the year 1600, which he said was kind of a bummer. So I'm sure that that's... I'll probably do a Wikipedia search, although they've done that before. They've come up with like a really specific date and you look and you can't find anything that they're talking about. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, they did mention he stopped by 2021 for a little bit and he was in a building that was flooded out and everything. And I'm just like, that's a comment on today's um, climate change nonsense going on. Uh um, Yep. Yeah. So he keeps running around. And then he never really found a place where he belonged, I guess. He kept on. Of course, he was running from the sheriff the entire time. But it's just all these different places, a thousand different roles, until he landed back in one particular place. Yeah, I liked how they put it. Uh, Cecil said he made one last blind turn in history and found himself in a pickup truck and a five pronged figure approaches him and he has enough time to think, oh, what is this? 
and then he's murdered. And, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all that's weird. Okay. And we go right back to Cecil, and everything's fine. Yep, yep. And he notices, like, Cecil can actually tell that things are back to normal. Everything feels right now. And, of course, we hear a few names that kind of confirm this. And so he says what he's most looking forward now is going with his husband and their son to the Moonlight All Night Diner so they can have a big plate of invisible pancakes. And we're like, oh, ah! some things are different. <laughs> And that was and it. It was, it was great. I mean, like you said before we started recording, it was very wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, all the different jumping around. I love it. And a lot of it reminded me of a book that I reviewed on Pixelated Geek years ago uh, by Rissa Walker called Timebound. And it is a time-traveling agency. And it's I, I really like the little wrinkle that she threw in that there are like keys or amulets or something that people carry with them to keep from being affected by the time changes. Like, especially oh. if their ancestor gets murdered, they have to hang on to that amulet at all times or they'll just wink out of existence. But oh, wow. I, if you guys oh, wow. ever get a chance, you know, like I said, time-bound. And it's really fun what they do with changing history because it takes into account that you'll be going along and a character will be telling everything that's happening and then suddenly you realize someone else comes in and says, no, wait a minute, all of this is wrong or this has happened many, many times or you only think that this is what happened, but in reality, and I just, I love the stories that do that, that just remind you, people won't necessarily realize that everything has changed when something gets changed in uh, the past. Yeah, I, I love stories about time travel like that or going to other dimensions where there's just like tiny little infinitesimal differences between their world and our world. Yeah, you know? I, it's I just, can't remember which one of the books it was. I think it was Famous Men Who Never Lived, where they're refugees from another time. And one person makes a reference to the toasters with those weird vertical slits. And just oh, weird. That, that, that little tiny differences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it, it was a John Varley story. I can't remember what it was called. It was about the guy who could only remember one day, and so he was, like, writing notes to himself, and these aliens had kind of come in, and the aliens had messed with time a little bit, but in just odd ways, like they had gotten rid of the letter Q. <laughs> and you just spelled everything with a KW instead. Little, little, little things like that. And I was actually thinking of John Varley because um, the plot of his book Millennium involved people harvesting humans from the past to try to mm-hmm. repopulate humanity, and they had to get them just before they were killed in airplane accidents. And they would have to replace everybody that was killed with an identical clone of themselves. And I was just wondering, why couldn't the secret police have done that with Frank Chen? Just If if he's going to get murdered, just put a clone there in his place and bring back the one that the family wants. So it would have been great. So now I guess it was the... It was the time change. I mean, maybe that would even still change anything. Yeah, I don't know. But we still get to look forward to how exactly the secret police is going to wrap this up. Because otherwise, if they don't manage to get the life of Frank Chen back to his family, uh, Frank Chen's family is going to own Night Vale. Right. Well, maybe that'll be the resolution. We'll have all these stories about Frank Chen's, how they're going to change Night Vale. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Re- regarding Millennium, if anybody ever, if anybody ever saw the movie Millennium, I mean, it's fun in its way. Uh, I remember enjoying it when we first watched it, but you know, subsequent rewatches, it doesn't really hold up very well. But it is interesting that that started out as a short story, and then he wrote he wrote it into an entire book, mm-hmm. yep. and then it was made into a movie, and I think it gets like 
progressively less good with every incarnation, but the book and the short story are still very fun. Yeah, very enjoyable. And it kind of makes me doubt... John Varley's um, opinion when it comes to TV shows and movies made of his uh, books yeah. because I think he was really proud of Millennium and I'm like oh dude it's not that great no but I don't know maybe it's just I remember the first time we watched it we watched it I think with our friend Laurie McDonald in yeah, high school yeah, ages yeah. ago a long time ago I remember really enjoying it it was very much a product of its time I that's think. true so, it, maybe yeah. it just hasn't aged well in my mind yes yes but still very fun Ooh, there's, in case you hear noises uh, I think it's one of the life flights coming out of the hospital oh. nearby so yeah that's that, it's like once or twice a day you hear the helicopter coming in through there so that's that's fine but anyway well, that's it for Night Vale. I think after that, we should probably move on to the weekly Sip Rap. Rap. Oh, for God's sake. I know. <laughs> I trimmed all my fingernails down and I can't get the can open. There we go. <laughs> what are you drinking today? Uh, just the last of my White Claw. Okay. I've got. I've got a single bottle of Samuel Adams Cherry Wheat, which I cannot remember if I've ever tried before. So let's see. It's beer with kind of a not sweet or sour cherry flavor. That's interesting. That is interesting. All right. So, um, sit right. Well, you know, so the Union Tribune has been sort of posting all of the pandemic numbers for a long time. And I had noticed that it seemed to be on the page that said that with the reopening on June 15th, they weren't going to be posting the numbers anymore. I just went and looked today and it looks like they're posting the numbers again because the cases are rising. And yeah. we were down to like... Because they would show the number of tests that had been done in the county, but they would also show like a two-week average for positive cases. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's like they do more testing or less testing, more positive cases, less positive cases, but a percentage of how many of that testing gives you an idea. We were down to like 1%. We are back up to 5%. North Carolina might be 10%. It's, It's pretty terrifying, but there is good news or improving news. I've been following the vaccination trackers and... And North Carolina is still going up, you know, a tenth of a percent every day, but it seems to be consistently a tenth of a percent. Now, I checked Alabama, and for a while, they weren't moving at all. And then the other day, their number, the percentage of people getting the first shot went up by half a percent. So people are surprisingly starting to maybe take this seriously. And I remember hearing about Missouri and doctors saying that people were, you know, secretly getting their injections because they were taking it seriously, but they just didn't want to get flack from their friends and loved ones who still think all of this is a hoax. Right. So (laughs) take what you can get, I suppose. I believe the number I heard, and I'm not a scientist nor a mathematician, but, you know, we've got the vaccine tracker on Twitter and for a while, I mean, it's been going up like, what is it, a tenth of a percent? Mm-hmm. Except they don't, if it hasn't gone up at least a tenth of a percent, then the number won't move for the next day. So it looks like it's holding still. But it was going up a tenth of a percent, and people were saying, oh, God, it's awful that it's going up so slow. And I believe someone said that a tenth of a percent of all people in the United States, because that's what it's tracking of all people, a tenth of a percent is still 300,000 people getting vaccinated. So it ain't 
nothing. And it's still I going. I think I saw that conversation, and someone's complaining that the media was saying that the numbers were rising, and someone had to point out the numbers of people getting the first shot are rising. We yeah. won't know for like five weeks, I think, when people have gotten their next shot and then waited the two weeks or the three weeks for full immunity or whatever right. we get from the vaccines at this point. That's when the numbers will start showing up on that tracker on Twitter. Right, right. right. So, but it's it's disheartening in the fact that they are finding out more and more that people who are vaccinated can still catch it. Yeah. And they can be asymptomatic and it is just as easy for them to spread it to other people. Right. However, it's over 90% of people that are being hospitalized for it are unvaccinated, which right. really tells me that the vaccines are doing something, but I don't know if herd immunity is ever going to happen at this point because know. we're just still sharing it back and forth and what happens when the next variant comes out. Yeah, exactly. I have been hearing a little bit about, I was hearing some people express frustration that there is a significant percentage of people who have not been vaccinated, not because they don't believe in it or because they're not able to get vaccinated, like they're not in the right, you know, kids can still not get vaccinated, but there's all these people who haven't got vaccinated because... They just haven't made the time to do it. They're like, oh, yeah, I know I need to do it. I know, I know. And and they don't. And I actually have a good friend of mine. She and her entire family had this trip to Hawaii planned. They're definitely like the type of people, like when they do a family vacation, they're going to Hawaii or Costa Rica or whatever. Well, two people in her sister's, plural sister's families, both came down with COVID and they had to cancel the trip. And both the people who got sick are in their 20s and they just hadn't gotten vaccinated because they just... They're in their 20s. It's a thing that happens. You know, you're just like, oh, I'll do it. And I'll get around to it. I mean, we know we've we've been there when you're just like, oh, I'll get around to it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Fine. Until it's not fine. Exactly. I think we've been caught up with our financial aid on something like that. With that oh, kind yeah, of attitude. That. Oh, my God. Yeah. Guys, please. Oh, if there's a deadline. The, the deadline is important. Even if you don't think it yeah. is, it really is. Yeah, it seriously is. So anyway, their whole trip was canceled. I believe nobody got hospitalized for it. But it's just like, I don't know. If you're not going to get vaccinated to protect other people, if you're not going to get vaccinated because you're afraid of dying, maybe get vaccinated so your vacation plans don't get crapped on. You that know, was that was one yeah. of my main reasons for getting vaccinated as fast as I did, because damn it, I wanted to go on trips and I did mm. not want to have to worry about infecting people, which apparently I do now, but hopefully yeah. we're only hanging out with people who are vaccinated. So I don't know. It's, I mean, I still, I'm kicking myself for the fact that like several episodes ago, we were talking about, hmm, what exactly are we going to be able to talk about on the sit rep when we don't have this pandemic to talk about anymore? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jinx. 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 So anyway. Ugh. Other than that, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know... By the time this episode drops in a few days, it will be our little sister, Hannah, and our dad's birthday. So happy early birthday. Yay, happy birthday. Because unlike our parents, Hannah actually listens to these episodes. (laughs) She does. (laughs) (laughs) I think dad said something the other day. He's like, oh, you're doing your radio show. I don't think I've ever listened to any of those. I'm like, you have, but not many of them, but it's fine. I I should give a shout out to uh, my friend Becky from church who says that she has listened to several of our episodes and she thinks they're really fun, even even though she doesn't always understand what we're talking about. I'm like, well, we're we're aiming this for a really specific audience, basically people who like all the nerd stuff. Yes, yes. Oh, hey, that's actually a good segue. So let's segue into some nerd stuff. Yeah. We are actually about halfway through the current season of 
of Beastars. Now, you finished watching the first season subtitled. Yes, I did. And it's, I, I think I texted you, it's definitely better subtitled. I yeah. mean, for one, Juno is less annoying. I mean, she's still a stalker. Let's just call it what it is. But I just, it felt like everything got to me more. And they have the moment where Lagoshi makes his dramatic entrance into the lion's den to save Hal. It's, it's Hal, right? I, I think it's pronounced Haru, but... Yeah, um, I got it. But I just, I remember watching it. And I've seen this before. I knew what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And I still got choked up. It seemed so much more emotional the second time around. I've I've watched the first season a few times through. And I even watched it one time through with the Japanese language, but no subtitles, just so I could oh. appreciate the, the sounds and the animation without the distraction. And I yeah. really, and I think that was an excellent point that you made about the fact that sometimes the clunky lines are more forgivable when it's subtitled because yeah. you know that it's a translation. Whereas when it's dubbed, it just feels sometimes like bad acting or clunky yeah. writing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Plus, I just think the actual actors, I think the dubbed is fine. It is, it's not a bad example of dubbing. I've seen a lot of those. So the dubbing for Beastars season one is perfectly fine. I just think the original actors do such a better job in getting the emotion going through. Mm -hmm. But that I could be seeing what I want to see. I don't know. So obviously for the second season, I'm starting with subtitled right from the get-go. And this show keeps surprising me. I never expect what the characters are going to do. There are all these developments that I totally wasn't prepared for. And I have to say, one of the things that surprised me the most was when they flashed over to a scene with um, Rui and Juno on a street corner, and they're dancing. And I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't even know that I wanted this, but this is lovely. It was just, it was beautiful and sweet, and they were laughing, but, you know, they obviously have, they're sort of, you know, she's not entirely happy with him and everything. I mean, she wants to be the next B-star, but he's sort of given that up, but he, he's going to come back, right? I mean... I don't know at this point, because he yeah. seems to now view that whole idea as kind of simplistic and childish, which a whole bunch yeah. of people are pointing out, why exactly is a high school student supposed to be the standard bearer as the savior of humanity, or all animal kind, whatever is yeah. they refer to in Beastars? So that is kind of weird, but I did, and I yet, really did like that that scene. Oh, it was really lovely. And yet, so... <laughs> Okay, so obviously, giant spoiler warning. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like we got to talk about all this. So, you know, at the end of season one, he'd actually killed the leader of the lions who was going to eat Haru. And we didn't know what was going to happen to him next. But he tried to kill himself, but it didn't work. And the lions... I don't know. What exactly was their reasoning for deciding that he needed to be in charge? I think it's because he killed the big guy, and so they were kind of leaderless, and I think they were just casting around for a good leader, and they just decided, let's make the deer the leader. I think because because he's part of the Horns conglomerate, and very highly placed in society, and there is all this information about, oh, he's going to be the next B-star, so they saw it as a way, I guess, of kind of piggybacking on his status, because mm-hmm. otherwise, they were probably going to have to consolidate with another group from the black market, and none right. of them wanted to do that. Now, I think there's varying degrees of enthusiasm among the um, Shishigumi. Shishigumi, is that how yeah. it's pronounced? Yep. 
a lot of them I don't think are really okay with having a deer in charge, but they're going along with it for now. But there is at least one that seems to think that this is this is the right choice and right. seems to be working out for them. I mean, they're positioning themselves as the protectors of herbivores, which is kind of weird considering they're part of an organization that provides meat to the black market. So Exactly. The most surprising thing, though, and I know you had told me that, you know, the show was moving along very quickly in the first three episodes. Yeah, basically the lions, I think, just to kind of like, I don't know, maybe torment him or test him or whatever, they put meat in front of him. And he actually went ahead and ate it, which was terrifying. I mean, it was probably, I mean, it was definitely some kind of herbivore meat. It could have been deer meat, I know. So basically he's being a cannibal. But we see a few episodes later that, I mean, a deer can't eat meat. There's no way. No, no. So he's he's withering away. I mean, I think that one lion that thinks having him in charge is a good idea is trying to get him to eat vegetables every once in a while. But he's resisting that because he's never wanted to be weak. And he, I yeah. think he thinks being an herbivore means weakness. Or he doesn't want to show anything that would like link him to being an herbivore but yeah, i don't yeah. know he's i think it's ironic that lagoshi is trying to res- has been trying to resist his you know wolf instincts since the first season and he's trying now to overcome any desire at all for eating meat and now Three has eaten more meat than lagoshi ever has yeah that's very true oh man they had that one episode where so, of course, Lagoshi's met up with the panda, and the panda is trying to help him overcome his urges and everything, trying to break the addiction, I suppose. But even the panda is surprised when Lagoshi, like, he had put in a slab of meat in the room with him to make him sort of, like, get over this addiction and everything. But Lagoshi actually takes the slab of meat, and he's been burying them, which is, like... That really drives at home the fact that in this world, herbivores are thinking sentient creatures. And whoever that was, that slab of meat, it was actually a person that needs a burial. I'm like, boy, this is really dark. Very dark. And even though they made it clear in the first season that the black market's meat comes from hospitals and funeral homes and everything, and it gets sold, but it feels like a stopgap. Like, you know, it only takes a little bit of society getting unbalanced and herbivores could become the slave race, basically. I mean, their only purpose being to provide meat to the meat eaters. So, and we're, we're starting to see that things are breaking down a little bit because I think in episode seven... Um, the Cherryton school got the notification that they were going to segregate the carnivores from the herbivores, which meant that the drama club's going to get disbanded because it's it's the club that has both. I don't know how that yeah. managed to work out in Cherryton school that only the drama club has both carnivore and herbivore mm-hmm. members. But yeah, that's that's going to go away. I I don't know what's going to happen with that because on the, on the one hand I thought well that's a damn good idea because there is yeah. somebody in Sheraton School that's eating students but on yeah. the other hand you saw Els uh, confronting um, uh, what's the tiger Bill confronting oh, ti- Bill, Bill yes. about the fact 
yeah, that he was just going to let this happen, that he was just going to be like, ah, I guess it's a pretty good idea. You guys will be safe. And she's furious because she yeah. thought they actually, that this was something good that the society had created and that they were just going to let it go. Yeah. But the big information, you were talking about how things are breaking down and you know the herbivores could become the slave race and obviously they're in danger all the time. But we've got like carnivores who have to have meat to survive, and they've basically all been surviving off of egg sandwiches. I mean, that's the only protein I've heard about. I'm sure maybe there's tofu or whatever, but I don't know if that's a workable situation for carnivores, which is why the black market exists, so they can actually get meat, though no one talks about it. But we also found out we have a character who's a bear, and he actually has to take medicine to, like, I don't know, atrophy his muscles on purpose, I guess? Something like that, or tamp down his desire for eating meat and just make him not be a bear anymore. Yeah, I mean, we had one episode, we talk about dark, it was in the drama club, and you've got the anteater character, and one of the other carnivores accidentally ripped his arm off. Oh I was my like, god, oh my hell? god. Yeah, I read the uh, really bad. A Reddit thread about that, and everyone was like, I was so sure this was going to be a joke, that it was the yeah, anteater character was going to be able to say, oh hey, look at this fake blood I've got, you guys sure were fooled. No, his arm's lying on the floor. So this idea that they're going to to shut down the drama club i'm like this is not we found out information about who was actually the person to kill tem but this wasn't anything related to that this wasn't a carnivore who went crazy with bloodlust this wasn't some part of a deeper conspiracy no just one of the carnivores in the drama club accidentally ripped an herbivore's arm off i'm going i think this situation is breaking down in so many ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so boy do we want to talk about who murdered tim yeah okay once again giant spoiler warnings though it's the bear it was the yeah. bear and yeah. i thought this was so the bear had become friends with tim but, you know, Tem was scared of carnivores, but at the same time, he recognized that the bear was suffering. I mean, it wasn't any fun for him to be taking this medicine to basically tamp down everything about him. And yeah. he recognized that the bear felt better talking to him, so he just meant to talk with him. And... And this is something that I've heard happening all the time, and it relates to people who have something like bipolar or schizophrenia, is they take medication to fix the symptoms of having a mental issue, and they medication helps them to the point that they feel great and they think they don't need the medicine anymore so they stop taking it which is exactly what happened here and when tem found out about that he was so terrified he tried to run and the bear grabbed him and clawed his arm and we get to the very beginning of season one that's right and oh it was really like for a second there you almost thought that maybe Tem had sort of talked him into, I thought maybe it was going to be a switcheroo, that maybe Tem actually talked the bear down and it wasn't actually the bear who killed him because they have this moment of quiet and everything. And I'm just like, oh, maybe you'll be okay. And then it immediately flips to the bear who is just devouring the hell and just blood everywhere. And it's like, oh, so, so, I mean, when I say gory, they don't show like, actual like gore there's a lot of blood though yeah there's a lot of blood but it was it was a very nightmarish scene because yeah. tem 
the bear just wanted Tem to see the real him. And it yeah. looked like Tem was telling him, I now see you. You don't have to hide anything anymore. And Tem embraces him, and the bear is just so happy, and the camera is panning around and around, and the music is swelling, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's the bear's face covered in blood. Tem? <laughs> like, oh, God. Just, oh, God. Oh, yeah. man. But the bear is obviously messed up because... Yeah. He feels that this moment, even seeing that there were signs that Tem had tried to fight him off, that this is a moment that he will treasure for the rest of his life. Like yeah. He gave in to his instincts, and Tem saw him for who he was. And I'm just oh, like, oh. so dark. But oh, my God. Lagoshi knows that the bear did this and the bear yeah. knows Lagoshi knows and that new goat character who's such a drama queen oh everybody's, my goodness. everybody's new favorite character because he's just delightful he knows and I'm mm-hmm. and that but they switch to a different scene and I'm like wait you're not going to tell anybody but no no I guess it's I because mean, apparently no- the goat the goat character is saying that I don't know I guess the idea that the bear is basically going to punish himself because the bear is definitely I mean he is messed up from having done this definitely but I don't know the goat character almost seems to think that maybe the bear is just going to handle all the punishment himself so I don't know I don't know so when I read the reddit thread on this episode the redditors pointed out that Lagoshi's proof was basically what the bear who I think his name is Riz I think I think so yeah um his proof is what Riz told him, admitting that he was the one who killed Tim, and the fact that when Riz was attacking Leoshi, uh, Leoshi bit him in the mouth. Basically, French yeah. kissed him right in the mouth to taste his right. saliva so he could recognize him later. Yeah. And that's not a whole lot of proof, I don't think, no. to try to go to somebody with that. No. no. Yeah, he's assuming that the person that he's fighting with in that evening was the same person who had killed Tim. There is nothing really to link. I mean, yes, he can tell by the saliva that Riz was the bear who attacked him, but uh, attaching that bear to Tim, I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, it's interesting. The homoerotic subtext on this show is like a little louder than subtext most of the time. Really, yes, especially with uh, the new goat character, um, Pina, who... I think people have this idea that he's got a death wish, but it almost seems like he's just devil may care that anything yeah. he just he keeps poking people to try to start something because it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which fair. That's yeah, totally yeah, fair. fair. But so. I love the way they're animating well, I mean I love the way they're animating everything, but especially oh, yeah. Pina, I think. They're going all out with just his Flash. He's just so suave and just yeah. so. I mean, Devil May Care is definitely right. I mean, he does not give any fucks about anybody being angry at him or being dangerous, I don't think. Nope. Nope. Not at all. And one last thing about the animation. Man, that animation in the strip club really was pretty, wasn't it? It was so pretty. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just, you had the. You have kind of an herbivore character, which I guess she's a, is she a deer? I'm not really uh, sure what she is. Like a, an ibis, some kind of uh, African like deer, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you also have a cheetah at one point dancing as well. And it's like, it's just so pretty. They've, they just do such a good job. They've got to be doing motion capture because I don't think I've I ever seen a, a striptease done in an animation that actually looked like someone being graceful and seductive. I mean, yeah. they did an amazing job. Of course, everybody's tastefully turned away so you don't see all this, you know, genitalia that they're showing off. But yeah, it yeah. was 
it was really elegantly done, and you don't see that in strip scenes very often, I don't think. No, no. And honestly, the scene with Louis and uh, Juno dancing together, I had that same thought. I was like, they're just sort of doing this very fun little dance together and whatever, and it just it looked so well done. I thought they've got to have had actual actors like doing it, and then they kind of animate over on top of it. But I'm just, hats off to the animators. Mm-hmm. They do such a good job, because there's some stuff like the faces of herbivores that, you know, that face does not exist and talking the way they talk in real life. They can't have done motion capture for that. It's just the animators actually making it look so good. <laughs> so yeah, halfway through the season, I'm definitely, I mean, I've been going like, the episodes are only like, what, 25, 26 or seven about, about minutes 25 long? minutes, I think, yeah. yeah. I've definitely been doing two a day, sometimes Aww. three a day, yeah, so without a doubt. It's not going to take me long to finish. You caught up fast. I mean, you I were did. just finishing up the first season a few days ago, and now suddenly you're on episode seven. Yeah, we've been doing maybe one a day. I'm just trying to pace it out a little bit, because I know it'll probably be ages before we get season three. I'm already uh, thinking know. about season three. Oh, obviously, yeah. But So, speaking of other things that we're watching and reading and consuming and wishing we hadn't consumed them so fast. We had another chapter of Laurel Olympus this week. Mm-hmm. Yep. And mm-hmm. the story, the main storyline didn't move forward as much as it did last episode. We still mm-hmm. haven't seen anything more about Apollo and his mother and Demeter being captured. Nope. But So we had a scene where Persephone and Hades are watching outside a glass window, a conference mm-hmm. room, where Ares and Hephaestus are talking and Ares is trying to convince Hephaestus to go visit their mother, and he's kind of mad that Hephaestus never visits him, and Hephaestus is kind of annoyed at Ares because, you know, it's Ares. But meanwhile, Persephone, you know, she already wanted to see, like, some drama, so she wasn't leaving, and, you know, mm-hmm. Hades is like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, you're, you're kind of a bad girl there. Uh, so she, like, says, hey, watch this, and she points at a flowering plant in the conference room, and it blooms. And Hades points at it, and it dies. And then for the rest <laughs> of the conversation between Hephaestus and Ares, you see little flashes of Harry's and Persephone just kind of, like, trying to shove each other out of the way and alternately blooming and killing this poor plant. <laughs> Until I think it was Hephaestus that finally turned around and said, would you two go flirt somewhere else? <laughs> I was so because Ares was the one who could actually see them through the window, mm-hmm. but Ares is just kind of clueless. So Hephaestus had his back to them, and he figured out that they were doing it. I was wondering <laughs> who was going to figure it out, but so cute. It so was really adorable. Just adorable. Just but, adorable. But the only other development we had was... Eros and mm-hmm. um, Ampelis. Ampelis, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I will try to remember her name, who is actually mm-hmm. Psyche in disguise, go out on a mission to do the heartbreaking thing that Eros does with firing his arrows. But Eros wants to know more about Ampelis because she knows everything about him, but he doesn't know anything about her. Well, she I guess she's probably been told by Aphrodite that she can't actually say outright that she's uh, Psyche, that Eros has to figure it out. So she gives him, she doesn't want to tell him anything, but he just kind of looks at her and gives that little pouty look. And I thought, oh yeah, she's going to cave right away. She totally is going to cave. So she just tells him a little bit about how she accidentally made Aphrodite mad and it wasn't her fault, but now they're friends and she was in an arranged marriage, but she got her heart broken and she sometimes misses her family, but she doesn't ever want to go back to that life. And 
it's been really hard being so angry with somebody that she loves so much. It's true. She said that the one thing she really regrets, she says, I'm not a perfect person, but she's never had a chance to explain herself, which is totally true. I mean, her sisters talked her into this idea that he was a monster, and he, of course, hadn't told her who he was. And then she kind of came in with a knife, sort of, and he saw it, he was felt so betrayed, but he immediately runs out and never lets her explain. Now, obviously, she did a bad thing, but he just never gave her the chance to explain herself, which would have added some context to the situation. So, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. she's. I hadn't really expected that. I think in all the psyche myths that we hear, it's more of the idea of her wanting him to forgive her. But this, it's more like, I mean, yeah, because she's not a perfect person, but also, she has an explanation for why she did what she did that maybe he probably ought to hear before he makes a decision. Right, because know. he probably has this idea that she hated him or that, yeah. you know, she wanted to escape. But in yeah. reality, she didn't know what was going on. And with more information, things might have been a little bit better. So yeah. the episode ends with the two of them kissing. And <laughs> I wonder how that's going to work out because I can see Eros apologizing because he's taking advantage of her and he never meant to do that and still Mm -hmm. not realizing that it's psyche right right i thought it was interesting that there were a few of the commenters saying oh i'm so glad they kissed but oh god this is where everything is going to go wrong and i'm like is it i mean because i'm not familiar with empalus from traditional greek mythology that if this is like a thing that's actually happened is this the moment when he realizes that she's actually psyche and he feels betrayed? So he's going to run away again. Um, I don't. I don't know. They, they were like somebody had said, "Oh, this is this is where it all starts to go wrong." And the comment got like four likes from people. So I'm thinking, "Oh, what am I missing? What's going to happen?" So, and we also have that you know prediction from a few episodes ago where all these people are going down to the mortal world and it's going to be a disaster and someone's not going to come back. I still think it's going to be Daphne, but maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And one thing I think everyone needs to keep remembering is that Eros didn't just run away when Psyche betrayed him. He went out and committed an act of wrath and slaughtered like a lot of humans. Oh, yeah. And did that happen in the traditional Greek mythology? I don't think so. But what happened was that Zeus was going to punish Eros and um, Aphrodite convinced him not to. And it's pretty obvious that she slept with him. And that hopefully will be used in Persephone's trial for her act of wrath, which I'm sure that will come up. The reason that, well, why did you give Eros a pass on that? Is it possible Mm -hmm. that you're kind of, you know, maybe not all that impartial? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, So, yeah, the main storyline with Hades and Persephone didn't move forward very much, but certainly Eros and, and Pelos' story moved forward a lot. A lot, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a good episode. I liked it. Me too. So nothing really else going on here. It's I have actually been rewatching Penny Dreadful, mm-hmm. and I think I'm, in, I'm definitely enjoying it. There's a lot of good stuff. But I'm also... I don't know. I remember watching it the first time and feeling like towards the end it just fizzled out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have said that. They're like, yeah, it definitely was not a great ending to the series. So, I don't know. Do you remember much about the first time when you watched it? Yeah, I just kind of wondered. I don't know. It, It ended in a way for a lot of the characters that I thought... Well, ultimately, what was the point? What was the point of a lot of this? 
yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm still enjoying it, but um, yeah, I'm worried about that. Also, I've, I would like to see Josh Hartnett in more things. I'm gonna look him up. Man, that guy is pretty. Oh yeah, very, wow. very much so. Uh, only other thing is I rewatched Midsommar at uh, around Ooh. Midsummer, and yeah. on my copy of the DVD, it had a trailer for a horror movie called High Life, which oh, is yeah. about a bunch of convicted criminals on a spaceship being sent out in a one-way trip for science, I guess. And sure. it really looked very atmospheric and cool, so I started watching it. I don't think I can recommend it. It seems the imagery is really good. I do wonder what's the point of this one, too. And a lot of the times the lines seem really clunky when you can understand what everybody is fucking saying because it's irritating how much their voices draw. Like they'll be talking and parts of what they're saying drops below the level where I can hear them. So you either have to have the whole thing on blast or you have to go, I don't know, look up the, uh, the screenplay or the script or something to figure out what everyone's saying. So, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's got Robert Pattinson in it, who I think is trying everything he can to break out of the Twilight mold between this and the movie Lighthouse. So, and I think he does a good job. I mean, I don't think anyone's doing a bad job. It just, nah, not really working. Yeah, I still need to watch Midsummer. I, I keep meaning to. I just don't get around to it. Sometimes it's because I'm I'm trying to be careful about the type of stuff I consume so I don't want to get bummed out you know, with everything <laughs> going on in the world. Honestly, but, yeah. I don't think this one will bum you out. I think it's okay. a little freaky in places, but it's yeah. not doesn't doesn't really depress me, I don't think. No. I have been very curious about the Suicide Squad movie because I know the first one had its fans, but it definitely had been messed with by the production company and everybody else uh the second one came out and hugh who does our movie reviews right now he really likes the second really one. He does oh, wow. say that it gets pretty violent but, um, <laughs> he said it's really fun they do a great job and nathan fillion is in it so mm, okay. I'm like, i might have to try though i feel like i should probably watch the first one just so i can go in with context but yeah. that's that's kind of what's stopping me because a lot of people didn't like the first one. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that's something uh, on my list. But I guess that is going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixLadyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the fan art galleries. So we won't have a Night Vale episode next week. I am sure we'll have finished Beastars by then. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I want to get through the next five episodes fast now because things are really moving along. Yeah. So... Between that and other things in the nerd world, I'm sure we will find something to talk about. So one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. (laughs) 